This is Noche Galactica. I'm Poeta Galactico. And this is episode 49. Today we have another one. Another one. Hot, spicy episode. We have Poeta. Poeta, see? In the building. She hey. is back. Yeah, I'm back. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling great. Blessed. Thank hey, you. let's get it. We back in the studio, man. Last time we made a... A podcast has been, I think, about a year. Yeah, it's been a while. It's, it's been, been a while. while yeah. You know, like I said in the last episode, man, there's a lot of podcasts out there. We've been doing it. We've been doing yeah, it. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. It's we've, been. We've been on the grind, but uh, this is episode 49. You already know we keep it on cut. We keep it 100 straight. Community base all around Oakland, but really deep east Oakland is what we're doing. Creating access for folks who sometimes, you know, I, I want to say the majority of us here in this studio um, being kind of sometimes isolated from from accessing you know the, the language that makes us feel woke you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that language yeah. that makes us feel like oh i am somebody here we're gonna do that we keep the 100 we try to like meet people where they're at with this language so if you're listening and you feel like oh yeah yeah out of pocket for saying something like this maybe it's not the podcast for you keep it booming keep it pushing yeah but today boy that seeing the belly man has been uh has been a blessing on the skies just to meet you know you i know you for a long time now and i feel like you're my sister ride or die absolutely and you know your journey is beautiful uh long beach raised long beach raised oakland made get it and you have a topic today tell us a little bit about your topic yeah i'm gonna talk about uh racial healing racial healing so it's gonna it might get hot it will get hot uh disclaimer if you feel some type of way i am open and happy to have a conversation i welcome conversations always uh but yeah racial healing racial healing crucial crucial racial healing conversations and again everything that we do here comes from a place of love we are always open to have conversations to unpack what we said what we meant because that's how we create community and we elevate absolutely so racial healing take us through this journey where does it start um I think, I think you're ready for this. I feel the energy. It's going to get spicy. <laughs> Let's get it. Absolutely. Um, well, if you got an opportunity, once again, my name is Poeta C. And if you've got an opportunity to go back into the Noche Galactica episodes or if you've kept up from the get, hey. uh, you might have already kind of caught that I am in a deep, deep healing journey. Um, I am going to name just, you know, trigger warning. I am going to name some things. I'm going to be very raw and uncut. Uh, with my story, which is also part of my own healing, being more open and willing uh, to share that. Um, And so, yeah, within my healing process, uh, within my healing journey, I was able to see racial healing as a huge part of that. Um, So, yeah, so I'll talk a little bit about what led me there, uh, why, and then, you know, why I feel like everyone should kind of go through that process as part of their own healing journey. Yeah, and again, I just want to, like, mention it one more time that the content that we put on here is is real content like we keep it 100 no cap like we we came from the mud you know we've seen some shit yeah Yeah. these are just conversations that i think you know what i really appreciate from the uh the space is that they're conversations that oftentimes we feel comfortable or we believe that people can hold with us uh in a place from love right like in a place to like elevate you and show you and and teach you like not that that's someone's responsibility but really to like because i care for you right and i don't want you to make the same mistakes etc etc so that's where those conversations come from these are really conversations that i wish someone would have held with me or i would have heard growing up so that 
I could have probably been in a better place, not necessarily in a better place in life, but just, you know, the walk in my journey. Um, but yeah, these are definitely raw, uncut. Uh, and not always your academia type of language. Hey, we already know, man. We're we not about that academia woke language, man. We keep 100 because access is a privilege. Let's get it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, uh, my healing process started. Um, trigger warning. So, in October 8th of 2011, 2012, I attempted suicide um, and got me in a mental home for a couple weeks this is the first time i've said it out loud if this is the first time you hear it from me or you hear that that happened to me it's okay <laughs> i'm here um and so that happened and i i say that because that's what really triggered my big healing journey um off of that being in an institution uh then i was you know cl clinic clinically diagnosed with depression and all these other just rap sheet on my medical record um, that, you know, they're just, they're just words, words. And so I started to really just kind of own that narrative based off of those experiences. Um, fast forward to 2000, you know, just 2013, 2014, 15, when I was really trying to unpack that and I moved to the Bay, um, I started to really, really embark on a journey of healing myself and unpacking where these feelings of, of, really guilt and shame were coming from uh, and I say guilt and shame because those were the first feelings that I was able to identify that were weighing heavy on me and stopping me from moving forward um, this also comes with like just straight up refusing to medicate and refusing to believe that that was it right I was told this is it there's no there's no taking it away this is just this is how you gotta you just gotta learn to navigate this and I refuse to believe that so I went on to my healing journey. Um, yeah, and so within that healing journey, uh, just fast forward a little bit more uh, to now, specifically last year, I know pandemic year was very, very hard for many. Um, being in education and being in the setting that I was, I started to really get slapped by race, like slapped around. Um, and I started to get that feeling that I was feeling back in 2011, 2012 uh, of, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I'm not accepted. And something's really wrong with me. Like, really, really wrong with me. And the reason why I believe that is because when I was... So, here, um, anyways... Win it, win yeah, yeah. It. <laughs> just, I'm, just, I'm trying to just take you through this uh, this timeline journey without like getting you lost, right? But uh, how about we pause right there? Pause, we pause. We pause right there, uh, and then I'll take you a little bit of back. Okay. Um, so race was really slapping me around, and uh, it had a lot to do with my work setting, what we were doing, also working in education, and the big word equity, equity. right? Um, and so then I started to hear these words equity anti-racist educator system breaker uh you know uh oppression like i started to hear all these words and then i would hear the stories of these words or what these words meant and i would it just was like mind-boggling to me because i'm like i experienced those things and you're telling like they were talking about migrating families right and and how we need to provide equity by ensuring I don't know, just like these these words that I'm like, no, 
that's not true. When my yeah. family immigrated here to this country, really what we needed was someone to let us know, like, hey, go apply for Medi-Cal. Yeah. Like, you need this, you need that, right? So I really then started to see, to like doubt myself and question myself even more. Like, am I just seeing things tripping? Like, am I... Uh, projecting my trauma is what I was told. <laughs> and I, I think if we can pause Man. on that one right now, let's let's put a hard <laughs> stop on that part, right? Projecting trauma. Yeah. I feel that again, when when you have access and you are able to decode what this means, it's it's beautiful. Get it, do your thing. If you're a person of color, a color, get it. But also understand that there's a lot of people, you know, of color who haven't gone through that journey. Absolutely. And when you say something like that, projecting trauma. That's it's heavy. Like it sits heavy with me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was put aside by someone, um, and was told like, "Hey, have you ever thought about that? Maybe the story that you share or the narrative that you hold about families is causing harm. Have you thought about that? Maybe you're imposing your trauma on these families, and that that made me feel like shit. Like that made me feel like shit because here I go thinking." I, I want to be the difference by demonstrating and showing by example what an immigrant can do, right? I was born in Guadalajara, Mexico. My family brought me here when I was, my mom brought me here when I was two years old. We ran away from home abuse. Um, and, and like, I wasn't necessarily, like, you know, like I, I experienced a lot and I, and, and it was very, very hard. And I will take you through that journey within this podcast. Uh, so for someone to say that to me and not necessarily knowing a single bit about me like yeah that shit's hard that was hard that was hard that was really really hard um which is kind of what led me to really take this racial healing uh process very very seriously very seriously um all right so the racial healing um we were you know equity inclusiveness is hot right now disrupt the system disrupt the system (laughs) and so uh my work came up with not came up with but uh, paid for this uh, PD that yeah. was uh, damn man. I, I, anyways, I, 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 we'll put it on the notes. We'll, but put, it notes. we'll put it on the notes because I really want you guys to uh, look it up. I know her name was Toby. I just can't think of her last name. Um, and Dr. Tinoco as well. Uh, and so they gave this PD that used this racial healing handbook that walked you basically through the process of like healing, right? And so that's where this first originated from. The difference, I think, what happened is that the space I stepped into, uh, it was all white folks. It was all white folks, white passing, like, it was just that, right? So um, I definitely took this racial healing into a whole other way and and really dived deep, um, aside from just the the basic level of of race, that the conversation that some folks were having. The the feel-good words. Yeah, the feel good words. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I went into the dirty words, like the, the, ooh, like the, just, there's just the shit that really feels painful, right? Um, and so yeah, so I really took that, that racial, uh, healing handbook very seriously. Um, and so yeah, I'm just gonna share a little bit about what I gained from it, um, the struggles that I was facing that led me to it, which was actually, you know, I kind of just shared a little bit about that, which was work, and and just my own identity. And honestly, being told by what I believe was my own people, like my own folks of color, telling me things that were very hurtful, very painful. Um, And especially like when, you know, not recognizing that they don't know where I'm from. Like, yeah, yeah, so that. You're going to know my journey. You're going to know my struggle. 
I'm, I'm always down for someone to call me out though Oh like, yeah, hey, absolutely. Yo, call me out. Call me in. Hey, call me in. <laughs> hey, call me in. So yo, call me in. You already know my number. Um, call me in, but also do it from a place of love, though. Don't yeah. do it from this bad energy, because all I do is radiate love. So you gonna call me out? Yes, call me out, and then show me the way. Show me the way that might be the best. That's way. the part. That's the part. I feel like um, we're all very ready to pull the trigger and call out or call in, uh, however it is you use that term. Uh, but we're not like we don't know what to do when we call them in or call them out like that's it right like hey i don't want you to you know uh use that term because it sexualizes women yeah. or something yeah. right and then it's like okay okay but like okay so what does it mean sit with me yeah. come on teach yeah. me something yeah, and i feel like that's the work that's the work yeah absolutely um i mean i i mean i would ask the questions all the time like okay then then what do i say mm. right <laughs> here clear example I've been a queer folk all my life. <laughs> like, queer folk all my life. I knew I was gay since I think I was born. Get it. Uh, and I just found out two years ago, non-binary terms, like, LG, what, I just found all that mm. out. Like, I just found out about pronouns, you know, and it was by making a mistake. Like, it was by making a mistake. Yeah. Um, and that person really, really called me out. And I was so embarrassed that then I went and watched the YouTube video. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's how I learned, right? But, and that person that probably hates me for life, and it's okay. Uh, but I don't think they ever had the opportunity. Like, I don't know if they just assumed because I was queer, I had to know all the terminology and everything. But actually, growing up being queer, I had to always suppress that. Like, I always had to hide it. I always, you know, I didn't show it like i was raised to whatever happens in your four walls is what happens in your four walls and that's it so i didn't realize i had so much freedom <laughs> as a queer individual to express myself and to use these you know and to know that like i didn't know that i didn't have access to that um so yeah so that was just a little example of just like access to words and access to you know just if you're gonna call somebody out man take the time to sit in with them and, and kind of just break it down for them and hear their point, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, let's get into let's this racial into healing. Let's dive into yeah, racial, for sure. racial healing. Let's get it. So I definitely want to give some definitions uh, before we begin, um, just to create some context and some, some anchors for you guys to navigate the conversation. Uh, and these are uh, definitions coming straight from the racial healing handbook. Uh, you know, put it in the notes so I can give the credit. Cite your source. <laughs> Um, so racial healing is the beginning to unlearn all of the stereotypical messaging that we internalize about our own race and the race of others, right? So all these narratives and messages that we were told about you, your race, your ethnicity, and what we were told about others, right? And I'm, I'm going to share my story. So what I was told about being Mexican, what I was told about being Mexican in the U.S., and what I was told about being Mexican in California, now, when I say race, uh, when we talk about race, it's a biological construct, just such as shared genetics and classification, but it's just a construct. And then ethnicity is a group that shares a common uh, or distinct ancestry and cultural practices, generally according to a geographical region, right? And ethnicity and race are both social constructions. Like, I'm not gonna get too into detail about the history of it, but they're just racial constructs. They were really just an excuse to say it's okay for us to harm these other folks or it's okay for us to take their land it's okay for us to do like that is it was just a construct to excuse the behavior of white supremacy okay so within those three definitions now i'll take you back um so then i off of that oh sorry off of the racial healing handbook one of the biggest questions that stood up to me was 
when did you learn about race? All right. And so I started to think like, when did I learn about it? Like, when was the first time it was presented to me? Um, and then I, within that question, I, I saw that race itself wasn't negative to me until 1992, 1992. In 1990, when I came to this country, um, when my parents, when my mom brought me to this country, one, my stepdad always was assumed black. Like my, my stepdad was very, uh, very, you know, darker skinned, um, from Morelos. Like, I don't know, you know, if everyone's darker yeah. skinned from there, but he was really pretty, pretty dark and also just, uh, very tall fit, etc. So he was, you know, assumed black. Like I, I don't, I didn't, I don't, I didn't see it, any difference in skin color at that time. Like I saw the physical difference, but I didn't see a systemic difference. Yeah. Um, and then when we moved to California, when we first came to this country and we're in California, where we moved in was, were projects. Now I know they were projects. At that time, I thought it was the most beautiful place in the world uh, because they had a play structure and they had a pool and like these things, right? So I thought it was amazing, uh, but it was projects. Um, and so it was a lot of diversity. It was a lot of diversity. So I didn't see it as a negative thing. Um, but fast forward to 1992, and I'm gonna bring you guys to what was happening at that time, right? April 1992, Rodney King riots, yep. right? The riots were breaking off in LA. It was hot. We all saw it. And the way the media was portraying it, that's when I started to see and, and, and identify race as something negative. I didn't, I probably didn't know the term in like when I was a kid, but that's when I started to see the negative thing. And it started to truly create an impact on me because I don't know if anyone remembers, but in California, when that was happening, immigration ICE took advantage and began their raids. They were raiding left and right. Uh, Latinos were getting pulled up. Latinx folks at that time, just Latinos, were getting pulled over left and right. Uh, were getting stopped all the time because at that time, being Latino, being, being Latine, was equivalent to being illegal. Mm. Say it louder for the people in the back, man. Being Latine in 1992 equivalated to being illegal. Damn. And if we think about those times, it's when, you know, that's when they made that show Coming to America, yeah. right? Like, because that was real. It was, if you looked any kind of shade of brown, you were considered illegal. And you were questioned about your documentation and you were pulled over. So it was bad, yeah. right? Um, that's when I first started to see being Mexican was horrible. Wow. Like that's, that's the narrative that I took in that time. I was ashamed of being Mexican. I was ashamed. I didn't want to be known as Mexican. Like I, it just, it was such a heavy guilt and shame of it because of what was being portrayed in media. Now let's get a little bit more into detail about what was being portrayed in media. I remember uh, what was being portrayed in media at that time was a, it was a very like clear cut image of what Mexican looked like, mm. which were cholos yeah. and cholas, yeah. right? Like that was the only imagery that was shown or heavy like factory workers, yeah. Uh, street like uh, forgot what they call it um, jornaleros they yep. called them at the time I don't yep. know. yeah yep. so it was like those were the images that they were portraying of Mexican folks at the time and again this could have been all Latina folks 
Hispanic, however it is you associate that. I'm speaking my story as being a Mexican person in that time. Um, and so within my family dynamics, one, we were the only immigrants at the time in the, in the family. Yeah. My mom was the only one who had crossed the border. Everyone else that was here was already set, cool, perfect, had their documentation in line, you know, had a house, had, we're living the white picket fence dream. Um, and so I recognized that just family-wise and, and seeing that already had created guilt and shame because I knew that when I came to this country, even though I couldn't grasp what the entirety of the, of the situation was, I had the feeling of guilt and shame because we always knew, like I remember crossing, like Loki crossing the border, right? So like hiding and, and, and staying low key. And like the terms that you hear your parents speaking about or saying, you know, they stay within you. We subconsciously take those narratives and believe them to ourselves. Um, And so that's how I was able to go back and unpack where's that really truly shameful, shame and guilt coming from. And it was, it was, it was from that. It was from seeing that being Mexican in California was unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. I, I think, thank you for sharing your story, man. This is, this is deep, uh, uncut, and I think it comes from a place of love and, like, healing, as always. And I think something that I want to elevate as you are talking about the two narratives of, like, the stereotypical Mexican, right? Mm-hmm. Life, it was either a cholo or a jornalero mm-hmm. on the side. And something that's been heavily on my mind lately is now the the cholo you know fashion trend is out there right mm-hmm. and and i always connected to like back in the days when i would watch the movie but in but out yeah. right <laughs> like all those movies and i was like though like people would dress that way for a reason right mm-hmm. and now it becomes like a fashion trend where i'm always kind of like i really don't know how i feel about that i mean it's, that could be a whole yeah, that's episode, one. You know yeah, yeah but, that is but that's what came to mind because i'm just like and most of the time it's people who are like but you know what it's actually not a whole other episode because it does tie into a lot to this Mm -hmm. we impersonate yeah right so it leads me to perfect segue um recognizing that being mexican was frowned upon in california back in my time 1992 you know all during that time um you then start to see how i then started to see how I needed to impersonate. I needed to mm. fit in. Mm. I needed to fit fit this culture to be accepted, mm. right? So I started wearing the etnies. Mm. <laughs> uh, I remember we went to Goodwill one time and I seen them and I was like, wow, all the white kids in my school wear that. Yeah. Like, I want those shoes. They were busted. I, I'm pretty sure there was some skaters bust. Mm. They had a hole. My mom was so mad because I got them. <laughs> Anyways, but, you know, then I started really, really hard to impersonate. So back to your point. Yeah. I think that now, because being of color is so accepted and is everyone so woke right now and wants to be so inclusive right Everybody now. No sleep, no sleep. No sleep out here. Um, I think because everyone's trying to be so inclusive, we don't recognize how we also try to impersonate uh, cultures, right? Yeah. Like we try to we try to fit in. Yeah. But that that in itself is That's a whole other part, su- subject. It's but coming. It's coming. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we naturally do that. So at that time, because it was frowned upon, I then started to impersonate. And, you know, I wanted to just fit into into society. Like, I really just wanted to not be seen as illegal because I was illegal. And I actually had shit to lose, right? I did not have my documentation then. And so in order to lay low and to fit in, you got to play along to get along, right? So that really led me to just a huge loss of identity. Like, big-ass loss of identity, values, uh, grudges towards my family, um, 
you know, I did actually have family members that were cholos and, and that created then also like, you know, just like this resentment mm -hmm. of like, I'm working so hard and you guys are fucking it up for yeah. us. Like those are literally the things that I would say or that I grew up believing, right? Mm -hmm. Like here goes me fucking having three jobs to try to go to a city college to be told that I'm not gonna make it. And then I had like cousins that were like, just, you know, stealing, associating, doing stupid shit because they had their papers and had nothing to lose. Like that created a lot of anger and resentment in me growing up, absolutely. Uh, and so that, you know, those are, those are the things that I, I wanted to unpack essentially with my racial healing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, so that, all that just, you know, my own cultural bias, my own lack of identity and my, you know, desire to fit in and to be accepted really. Um, just, you know, it led me to a whole other spiral, which obviously most, I can, I can see now why it led me to fast forward 2013, 2012, when that happened, um, it was just a loss, a loss of identity, right? So when I was in high school, you know, same thing, just trying to impersonate, trying to fit in. Um, I would hear the narrative of like, you gotta go to college, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. And, and it felt really just defeating because I didn't have papers. And I, and I consistently at home was being told, you know, Mihai, if you get a job that pays you $10 an hour or more, like you made it, you did it. Facts. Like, you know, if you get, oh, this part. If you get to work for a white person, Mihai, you did it. So that part right there mm -hmm. is where I recognize where my, my like work ethic came from. Like I have stupid work ethic. Like I, if anyone that knows or has worked with me, like when we put our heads together for a project, my work ethic is disgusting, yeah. <laughs> um, unhealthy sometimes. But that came from that, right? That I did not want to be seen as a chola. I did not want to be seen as a jornalera. And therefore I will work twice as hard to get a white person to acknowledge me. That's deep. That, that part right there was a huge unpacking and realization for me, is I was always waiting for someone to recognize me and to uplift me from the talents and the skill that I already had. I already had all this mentality. Given. It was, yeah. Magic. Mad, like, it just was, it was in me, right? Yeah. My ancestry put that in there. Like, I don't doubt it. Um, but it, it was like I had to wait for a white person to discover that in order for me to be somebody. That was the narrative that was being shared and told within my community and culture, right? You would see, I was a child uh, and I remember seeing uh, the, the, the family members, the single family members, not the ones that have family, that they worked for other people's homes, right? Like, I remember there was this, uh, there was this lady, uh, Tia Teresa, I think was her name. Um, she wasn't really my aunt. You know, growing up, everybody's your aunt. Everybody and their mom is your aunt. <laughs> yeah. But remember, I remember she. I looked up to her so much. And I would tell my mom, when I go, when I grow up, I want to be a servant. Mm. And I want to wear the black and white uh, uh, suit, right? Like the penguin suit, because I knew then I was a queer person, so I was not going to wear the dress. But I was like, I want to wear that. And the fact that those were my aspirations, mm. like that was my cap. That, that was the access I was told I could possibly have, right? Um, and so that, you know, just 
fast forward from all that, like that, being able to unpack all that and recognize where all these feelings of like imposter syndrome were originally implanted yeah. in me is what has been able to now been able to successfully navigate not only my workplace, the education system, but society. That's a big one. Yeah. Because I don't think we all realize how racist, and I'm going to say it again, again, how racist we all internalized are. Like internally, we have all racist biases. Mm -hmm. And I really encourage everyone to go through their own racial healing process. Ask yourself those questions. When did I first identify race? What was I told about my race and ethnicity? What was I told about my demographic and my culture and my society? What were the, what were the shared cultures and narratives that were being told around me growing up? What was the access and level of life that I was consistently being told I could have, mm -hmm. right? I don't care if you're black, white, green, blue, purple, it does not matter. We all have racial healing to do, especially white folks. And not, not necessarily at like, you got some trauma to heal. It's just like, you need, we all need to recognize, and especially fight, white folks need to recognize how privilege had came into play so much that you're not able to see on the day to day how you can actually break this system. Yeah. I think we all just talk about like, uh, breaking the system at a large scale yep. with words, with movements, with protests, with larger scale things. But we need to stop, pause, and reflect on how we can do that on an everyday basis. Yep. How do I break the system every single day? That is key, man. I think that's that's something that's been popping on for the quite the last couple of months just like knowing that if you are talking about disrupting systems do it every day yeah. do it every hour like do it every time you think about something it's gonna be there it's gonna you have to make a decision or well, how can I disrupt this and make it different how can I make it make sure there's access for you know make it truly equitable for yeah. people and I think a lot of times we love we love speaking about you know race equity and do kumbaya and stuff but the work is hard. It's real yeah. hard because it tests you. Yeah. Well, I mean, the work is hard because you then have to be accountable and you have to hold your sound accountable for the shit that you have caused. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I honestly recognize that, that that's the piece, right? Like, fast forward, got my papers. I'm in, I, I'm in a place where I feel like, oh, shit, I've stepped into society. Like, I'm in here. I'm on the table. I'm having the conversations with the people at the table, right? Like, I'm no longer being sat the at the shadows. other table. Yeah, like, I'm at the table, and I hear these, like, systemic change and da-da-da-da-da, and then I give my input about certain things, or I say, hey, actually, you know, that was a microaggression. Let's talk about that, that right there. We all say we want to talk about it, but we don't. We really, really don't because it's when you start to call, bring those folks in like, hey, um, I was giving my presentation and uh, you were on your phone the whole time. Or I really wholeheartedly created this for all of us to collaborate together. And, and you leaving in the middle of it made me feel like what I was saying wasn't important, right? And so you say these things and you have these conversations with these people because we're supposedly creating a culture of of have these conversations. 
And then the person automatically takes his defensiveness, right? Like, I don't know, just takes it really defensive and is not willing to engage in the conversation, like yeah. whatsoever. And I feel like it's that part is where we refuse to hold ourselves accountable. Yeah, accountability is big. Um, walking into the space knowing that there's going to be some heavy conversations and understanding that it's okay. Mm -hmm. Don't attack the person. Try to elevate, try to, you know, curate a, a, an environment where you feel like, oh, damn, I made a mistake. Let me own that. And Absolutely. then walk away with something. It's hard to get people there. Because a lot of times they haven't healed, they don't know how to navigate those spaces, so they put the person that looks the most similar to the next person to yeah. have that conversation, and now some people just become puppets of the person who has the most privilege in the room. Absolutely, and that in itself is, to is tokenism. Yep. That's that systemic racist shit that that we all we all participate in, mm -hmm. and we need to stop because um, it's that it's that I always have to be right. Yeah. Um, in order to be successful, you cannot make mistakes. Uh, I have a higher degree, therefore I do not have to engage in these level of conversations. Uh, you don't have a degree, therefore you shouldn't engage in this level of conversations, right? It's that systemic white supremacy culture that we have created here in the States uh, that allow that, it's actually really just an excuse to be able to hold people down, to give access to some, and to elevate others yeah. like it, we all participate in that and so being willing to have those conversations day to day first of all i'm gonna tell you right now if you're a white folk and a brown person person of color anybody pulls you to the side to have this conversation you need to first thank them mm. secondly thank them for taking their time because it is not on us to do the work and three really listen stop and reflect on what that individual is trying to open up and share with you even if that person does not have the language to do so because that's the part that i started to encounter a lot that i was trying to have conversations with individuals and i didn't have the academia language that they were looking for and immediately would feel like you know for example like i said yeah man you know i felt like what you did was racist immediately racist no I, that that term is not like it's bad yeah like so, you know, like not even giving up this, uh, opening the space up to safely be, to organically and safely express ourselves. Yes. I, I really feel that. I also really dislike the fact that when you encounter, and it has happened to me, I'm sure it has happened to you too, when you encounter a person who's white or maybe has more access than you, more privileged than you, can be a person of color too, says something happened to you and, and they come up to you like, give me an example of that. Mm-hmm. Bruh, like... I am the example. Like, I'm coming to you to tell you that I'm feeling this type of way because the way you are acting. Mm -hmm. They always come up with, like, show me the fruits, show me the receipts, right? I'm, I'm Cite really your tired. sources. Yeah, I'm, I'm really tired <laughs> of that because I'm like, to a certain degree, you are questioning my integrity. Yeah, and that's what it is. Uh, that's, it is. They're questioning not just your integrity, but they're, quest they're questioning your credibility, yeah. right? And, and, the sad part is that we were told credibility comes from citing a white person. Yeah. Like you have to cite a resource. I get it. Citations are important. But sometimes when we're having these just organic conversations, you you just have the conversation, right? I think people always want proof. Um, I remember just not too long ago, I was trying to engage in a conversation around parents and teachers having more, uh, more raw, authentic conversations about the immigration. Uh, their immigration trauma mm -hmm. or, or just bringing that up right like actually naming that there was trauma within migrant families coming to this country yeah. 
based on what however they were able to right um and so that then immediately was like do you recognize the power of what one story can do to harm many many others like immediately like you know have you read the works of so and like it just gets so immediately pushed back and the excuses are what process do you have in order to facilitate this conversation what do you mean man let's facilitate the conversation yeah. like if someone gets up out of their seat and raises their voice it's okay they're not gonna beat you up like yeah. it, it's emotion bubbling yeah. in it's feeling it gets difficult yeah. but we always want to process a facilitator a, a safe space yeah. a protocol to have these conversations and and there isn't one there isn't one there isn't one it's have the difficult conversation yeah. hold yourself accountable yeah. Be open and willing to recognize how white supremacy has caused all this. Yeah. It's not you or the other person, man. It's the system. And so let's not join one of those systems or right next to the system to fight against each other because then we're just perpetrating that same exact thing. Same thing, man. Damn, yeah. this conversation is fire. <laughs> I think we can go on for like hours just talking about racial healing. But I think um, with the... 40 minutes that we've been on you've been dropping a lot of tokens of power you know you already know um any final thoughts that you have on your mind before we wrap this up and give some shout outs to folks i mean just you know definitely my final thoughts is i really encourage you all to go through your own racial healing process uh look up the racial healing handbook uh it is it was a very helpful tool for me um just you know the reading the relearning Uh, and it also gave me ways of just being able to make that change day to day and step out of the white supremacy. Um, and I really encourage everyone who is going through any healing journey, whether it's personal, spiritual, any healing journey to include racial healing in that journey. Um, especially if you're been in your journey and you feel like you keep hitting this wall, then you might just need to step into your racial healing journey in order to kind of pass that wall, which is what happened to me. I appreciate that. Any shout outs you want to give out to the folks out there? Um, I want to shout myself out. <laughs> I really do. Um, I, it's been so, I think, you know, just with all the narratives I was given in life, I never gave myself enough credit. I never loved myself enough. Um, I never believed in myself enough until now. And so I really, really just want to tell myself you're, I'm so proud of you. Um, you have accomplished so much more than you could have even imagined. Uh, you did make it past 25, which is something that I never believed was possible. Um, and just all the things that I've been able to access, uh, I'm very proud of myself for that. And, and I want you all to do that for yourselves, um, to just get, be nice to yourself and acknowledge just how much further you've been able to come um, or just where you're going. Beautiful man. With that note, also, you know, just want to give you a shout out for always winning the trenches with me, uh, course, being out yeah. there grinding. I feel like when you're in the field and you know that the work is hard, you need people who are going to be down, and you've been one of them since day one. So I appreciate that. Thank and you. also, people out there just in the trenches doing the work, maybe this content is new to you. Know that this is the work and you're doing the right thing. Keep pushing. Don't get tokenized. Don't get pimped out. You already know what it is, man. Absolutely, man. There, there's, you can do it. You absolutely can. And reach out to the folks. Uh, don't, you know, reach out to the folks that you that you get gravitated to. to That's definitely what it be is, there. man.
You already know, this was episode 49. This is Noche Galactica with... Poeta C. And this is Poeta Galactico. Have an amazing Sunday. Yeah.